All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, let's see, Paul. Well, Titan, I have impression that its clock is running a bit fast after some hours. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, a lot of CircuitPython devices, if they stay on for a long time, the clock will become less accurate over time. There's a um, Adafruit Tix library, which can try to help out with that, is my understanding. Um, I'll pull it up here in a minute after I do an intro. Um, I think that library can try to help, but I do also think it's uh, it's a tough problem. Like, uh, if you have access to the internet, then you can fetch the time from there to get yourself updated. But if you don't have access to the internet, then uh, it will, unfortunately, I think, just drift uh, sometimes. Um, but yeah, so uh, how's it going, Paul and C. Grover, also uh, Biata over in the YouTube. Um, as more folks are coming in, let's see here. Okay, it looks like I, I didn't actually check the sound of the mic, but it looks like we're good. Uh, let's minimize this and make sure I can see the chats here. Um, so quick introduction. Uh, hello to everyone. If uh, you are new, you don't know anything about what we're doing. Uh, my name is Tim, and I go by Foamy Guy on Discord and GitHub. And in this stream, uh, we will be working on CircuitPython-related things. Um, typically, the stream deep dive, or I shouldn't say typically, but at least as the stream was created, it was uh, the deep dive with Scott, the lead developer of CircuitPython, but he is away right now uh, on parental leave. Um, and so I'm filling in, and so we are working on CircuitPython-related stuff. Um, if you don't know what CircuitPython is, though, um, I think I have my screen up. Is that right? Yeah, we switched over to this, so we have my screen up. So this is CircuitPython.org. This is where you can learn more about CircuitPython if you are interested and want to uh, dig in a bit. But basically, we're writing Python code that runs on these tiny computers called microcontrollers. There's a bunch of them listed out on this downloads page here. Uh, and what you can see is there's all kinds of different shapes and sizes of these things. Some of them are, you know, round with alligator clips. Uh, some of them are this feather form factor, which have a bunch of uh, ready-made uh, feather wing add-on uh, devices. Um, some have keys built in, some have screens built in, uh, e-ink screens, all kinds of different shapes and sizes of these microcontrollers. The thing that ties them all together is the fact that we are writing Python code to run on these uh, microcontrollers. Um, if you are interested in getting involved in CircuitPython, it's an open source project, so all the development occurs out in the open on GitHub, and we also collaborate on the Discord, so I encourage you to join us over there if you are interested. There's also a contributing link uh, on this page here, circuitpython.org contributing, or you can just click the link up at the top. This will take you to all the open uh, pull requests and open issues, including all the good first issues. Uh, on the open issues side over here, you can filter by good first issue. And um, this is a pretty good place to start if you are brand new and want to get involved. Um, these things uh, in the good first issues, they tend to be, you know, um, not requiring a whole lot of experience with CircuitPython. Even folks that uh, aren't necessarily uh, having a lot of experience with programming and maybe even haven't used CircuitPython ever before um, can still tackle some of this stuff. So um, that's a good place to head if you do want to get involved. 
another thing you can do, uh, I did mention CircuitPython is an open source project, but it is primarily funded by this company. Uh, this is their website, adafruit.com. Um, so if you wanna help support the project, but not necessarily get involved in the development, what you can do is head to adafruit.com and purchase hardware from them. Uh, Adafruit is a hardware and software company based out of New York. Uh, they sell uh, microcontrollers that they um, you know, create and manufacture. They also resell other people's devices. They also sell uh, sensors and you know, lights and sp speakers, uh, widgets, all kinds of things that you can plug into the microcontrollers uh, to interact with from this Python code. So uh, if that kind of stuff sounds interesting to you, if you're already buying that sort of stuff, uh, definitely head to adafruit.com, check out what they have. And again, if you do purchase hardware from them, you are helping support CircuitPython and all of those of us that they pay to work on the project. Um, so jumping into it tonight, how's it going, Tammy and Dexter and also Dave Odessa uh, over on the YouTube. Good evening, folks. Uh, well, evening where I'm at, whatever time of day you're in, that's cool as well. Um, so jumping into today, what I want to work on is kind of picking up where we left off last week. I worked on the tab layout last week. Um, we had a, you know, a bit of a, a stumbling block where I had noticed that I accidentally deleted it and we got it back up and running last week. And so I kind of want to pick up where I left off there, which is uh, implementing the touch interaction. Uh, I spent a bunch of time this week on PyCon stuff. So for folks that don't know, um, last weekend was PyCon US out in Salt Lake City. And on uh, Monday and Tuesday, specifically, they had these sprints out at PyCon. Um, so folks that attended the conference could go to these sprints. And our very own uh, Melissa and Katni, uh, who also work on the CircuitPython project, they were out there running the sprints. And we had uh, tons of new folks get involved and contribute to CircuitPython libraries. So that was really, really cool to see. Uh, I've been doing reviews and stuff for that over the course of this week. Um, and so I didn't get much done on the tab layout um, because that stuff definitely took priority because we had all those new folks uh, and we're always looking to you know, get new folks involved, right? That's kind of the one of the most important things we can do is uh, grow the community. Um, so I'm getting back into the tab layout stuff this week. I'll be doing the touch interaction. Um, and then we'll also look at an example. Paul is here, Paul SK in the chat. So uh, I'll mention, you know, um, early hug report, or I think I gave a hug report last week, but I'll probably have another one. Um, uh, so last week after I worked on the tab layout, Paul actually uh, in the chat here grabbed what I had done and kind of ran with it a bit. And so Paul has posted a couple of um, examples of using that tab layout over in the uh, help with projects channel, I think on the discord there. Um, so if folks are interested in seeing um, this layout taken a little bit further than what I have done so far, head over to that Discord and the help with projects. And there's some pictures uh, and other information that Paul has posted up there. So uh, thank you for um, doing that. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for playing with it. Um, that is all very much appreciated. Um, I'll probably pull that up and we'll kind of reference back and forth that because I'm going to be implementing some of the same sort of touch stuff. So I'll take a look at what you've done and how you've set up some of the sensors and things. We'll do our touch um, and then I'll maybe uh, also try to connect a couple of things together and build sort of a simple layout uh, or a, a simple interface with a couple of different live uh, updated um, data things on the screen. Order you did, uh, let's see, a couple, uh, some days ago with Adafruit got delivered at your son's address. Interesting. 
I do, I have noticed uh, Adafruit, it does seem to keep the addresses. Like if you go into your profile, somewhere in there you can manage your addresses and some of mine, uh, some of my like really, really old addresses that I haven't lived at in years um, are in there as well from when I ordered projects, uh, products I should say in the past. Um, so that's one thing you can do is if you uh, check in your profile somewhere, there should be like a manage addresses. Um, I don't recall the exact place, but I do remember seeing the list of all of them and being able to kind of edit or delete them. Uh, let's see, a uh, question for, let's see, we have both chats. Do we have both chats on the screen, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so question over in the YouTube chat from Beata to Tammy, the 8051-based board, uh, and then they're asking, is that for real? Uh, so I'm not sure. I guess maybe Tammy showed something like that, but um, that question is over there. So let's get this plugged in. Let's see, I think I did the development on the Titano, but we also were much more mindful about not just doing the development only on the device. Uh, we also pushed it into the repo last week to avoid having another mishap, right? So um, I have the repo open here, which is with the latest version. This is where I'm gonna start from, uh, but I do think I have not put it on this Pi Portal yet, which this one is the uh, regular Pi Portal, not the Pi Portal Titano, which is what I was working on last week. Um, and there's not a great reason for why I switched. I just happened to already have a sensor plugged into this one. And ultimately, I want to read from the sensor and put it on one of the tabs. So I figured I'll just switch over to this. This will also give me a chance to test out sort of the you know, new device workflow, right? Like coming from a device that didn't have this library, does it work as I intend, which is always a good thing to try out, especially after you've been doing a bunch of development. Um, you know, you might have solved some little one-off bug about a requirement or about a certain version of it or something. You might have solved that and just kind of filed it away to take care of later and then forgotten about it. So jumping to a new device uh, is always good while you are in active development to make sure that, um, you know, your whole process from getting it loaded and getting it running and making the example work uh, actually does work how you think it does on all devices. Not sure I know what you're referring to. I uh, haven't done any 8051. Maybe it's somebody else. Uh, let's see here. So we're going to... Should I delete this? See, now I'm scared to delete things. So what we're going to do is actually rename this, even though I probably don't need it. Too old. This is a little trick you can do, except for that's not actually how you do it. We want to rename this. Could just rename this old or real or whatever we want. We could put a version number in it if we wanted. It doesn't really matter what we name it as long as it's different than Adafruit Display IO Layout. Uh, and then probably we can refresh this to get it to update. Yeah, there it is. So we can paste our one with the tab layout in it. Uh, da, 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 da. We want the whole folder. There it is. Well, let's go just the folder by itself. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in my order case, it was my wish. Ah, I gotcha. Gotcha. Matrix portal and a uh, SP32S3. I grabbed one of the S3s, but I haven't... I don't think I've actually set it up yet. Matrix portal is always fun to play with, though. Um... Second, let me load this real fast. Oh, nope, doesn't load. 
All right. Um, so we can grab the example as well, right? Did I paste it? Oh, no, I didn't paste it yet. Okay. Copy that. Put it on our device inside lib. Wait for it to copy and then close lib. And I think we'll just see what's inside code. Do I need to keep this? Oh yeah, this was a test for continuous mode on the VL6180. Uh, I don't think I probably need it, but I also not hurting for space or anything, I don't think, so. We'll keep it and delete it later if uh, we ever end up hurting for space. Grab the test. So to start with, we're just going to make sure this is actually working as intended. Probably I'm missing some assets like the, uh, oh, okay, right. So we need the newest version of image load for one thing, which has the tile grid inflator inside of it. Uh, it doesn't matter too much where we're at here. I'll go up one though, because that seems weird to do it inside magtag. Circup install. Ready to install, already installed. Switch option update. 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 Oh wait. Can you do a C? I feel like I run into this all every time I try. Of course, I'm also on an old version. Update all modules. Does anybody know if the current version, the newest version of Circup, allows you to update a single library by its name? Should update no matter what, I guess. There is uninstall, which I guess I could do. Okay. I don't really want to uninstall either, especially... I think, honestly, this is how I ended up deleting my working copy of Display.io layout, maybe, was running this update all. And I'm thinking maybe that deleted the my modified old version and installed the current, actually published version. Um, kind of traced back through some of the stuff I did, and I think that's probably what ended up happening. In this case, I don't have anything special inside of it, so I guess it's okay to delete. That's MPY ones anyway.
Mouser didn't want to sell the S3 box. Oh, interesting. Weird. Um, okay. Darn it. That's going to probably get me a few more times. So next thing is uh, we don't have this BMP slash test bitmap 7, uh, which those are the assets I was talking about before. I think we'll just, uh, they should be checked into here, actually. Yeah. We should probably rename those. Or remake the PR. That's the other thing I think I'll be trying to do today is uh, if we can get the touch working uh, and maybe one more example, maybe an, uh, an advanced example. I like the idea of keeping the simple example, but I also like the idea of having one that's more advanced that really shows you how to like update text on each of the different pages and stuff like that, which is all the stuff that Paul figured out uh, again on those, um, those ones that he posted over in that help with projects. Uh, it's also all on GitHub if anybody wants to see the code. I'll probably pull it up here in a bit. Um, let's see here. I think it's just in the root, right? I think we can just paste that. Should be there, yeah. Our grid has no attribute bitmaps. So I think that probably means that we have an old version of CircuitPython uh, because this... The, uh, the tab layout, it takes advantage of a newer piece of functionality inside TileGrid, which is um, a property that allows you to update the bitmap, uh, which was a, a change that I had put into the core in order to support doing stuff like this. It is merged now, uh, but it is brand new. So if you don't have like absolute newest type version, I don't even know if it's in the beta, to be honest. When was this beta? Check the release notes. 10 days ago. Hmm, I'm not sure. Let's give it a try. Whoop. Double tap reset to go to bootloader. Paste on the new one. Okay, so that got it working. Uh, and it will basically cycle through all of these. Um, you can tell I kind of did some of this on the PyPortal Titano. There's actually, there's some of the text is running off the side there, um, but that's okay for now. Uh, the actual tabs rendered well, which is nice. They, uh, I think they're set currently to always occupy a quarter of the screen maybe. So it divides evenly on this screen as well as on the Titano, it will make the most of the amount of width that it has, uh, which is kind of cool. So this is working. Um, so let me, I'm gonna take a look at what you came up with, Paul, and see, maybe take inspiration from there, or just see where you got to, and then uh, kind of implement the touch the way that I was thinking, which I haven't planned it out fully, but I'm thinking, um, 
Thinking about doing like a process touch function on tab layout. And then in, you'll pass it, I think we'll pass it the event, touch event, and then inside of there, it will do Nope, different branch maybe. I think we can, how did I, I think I find this last time this way. Oh no, we don't have. So they changed this button, I feel like. It doesn't. How did I get to that before? Yeah, I noticed this before. You used to be able to click on this 13 to go and see the 13 forks. Here we go. This is the page I'm thinking of. You used to be able to click this number and come to this page. Let's see, what was the uh, tab layout? Here we go. Ah, okay, I just had GitHub name wrong. And so let's see, did you end up with changes in here as well? Looks like it. Couple maybe. Yeah, pretty happy with the way it came out. And the, the really cool thing about this is that you can, um, you can fully customize it. So like, I, th I think these green ones with the gray and the black, I think these look pretty cool, but you could just as easily do, you know, white and pink and gray and black and blue and red. You could just as easily make these whatever you want. Um, they don't have to be rounded. They could be trapezoidal. They could be, you could get really fancy with it. Uh, let's see, made some mods. Uh, tab dims. Um, I did read a couple of your message. I don't, I may have missed the one about tab dims though. Mod and draw tabs. Let me check that out. Is it just store? Okay, list with dimensions. Oh, uh, okay, so this will be the pixels, basically. Uh, well, is it pixels? Maybe it's not pixels. So XY, I guess, is probably pixels. These ones may be in tiles instead of pixels. Not certain. At the end. was over two only. Uh, it, will, uh, it will be pixels. This, this multiplied will, yeah, yeah, it will get you to pixels. X over two. I equals zero. What does the difference here do? 
I equals zero. Probably would have to play with it or add some prints to get a clear idea. I think... I'm not sure if they need to be... Oh, there's difference here too, actually. I'm trying to think. It may be possible to not need the... Because uh, this would check for the first one, I think. Let's do the first one differently. It may be required to, though. I haven't, I haven't sat down and actually done it yet, so it, it's very possible I ended up running... That I will end up running into whatever the reason for it was. Get tab dims, which gets the length and... Turns none if it has none. Tab number. Tab dims. Just clamping the range. Make sure it's actually inside the range. And then return it. Use the info to check if a touch. Ah, I gotcha. I may take a slightly different approach. We'll see once I get into it. I think what I'm... Mm, I have a list? Maybe I'll wrap back around and end up doing it this way. My first thought was to... Basically check the Y based on the... What is it called? Oh, did we not make a height? I thought we made a height. Maybe I forgot to put the height in this time. Oh, I guess what I settled on was you would just manipulate the height by using the... Uh, this is the, not that, what I just highlighted. By using the sprite sheets. I think maybe that's what I came to last week, actually. Yeah, this is coming back to me. I think I talked it through on the stream last week and decided the sprite sheets... Because you can always get fine-grained control of the size just by using a bigger or a larger sprite sheet. Taller. Maybe one day we could also make it specify a size and then it could inflate itself bigger. Um, I think there's something nice in the simplicity, though, of not needing to do that and having it just be derived from the sprite sheet. Experience that clicking, the, clicking on the tab, the Y value often will be more than 24. Ah, okay, so maybe we'll make a... Yeah, that's a good point, though, especially about fingers. We should, well... Is this one calibrated? Maybe we'll run the calibration thing again if we need. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a good point. It does, if, especially if you are using a finger instead of like a stylus or something. Um, it has kind of a big range where, but but technically it's it's registering a single point, and it might not be like the exact middle of your finger or anything like that. Um, so it would be good to give the user a little bit of a buffer down there, a little bit of an extra space where, like, if they touch on that space it actually still counts as touching on the tab. Honestly, a lot of buttons are done that way in like mobile interfaces and stuff. The the actual touch zone sometimes is just a little bit outside the visual. That way you have a, a kind of a bit of uh, leeway there, which I do think is a good idea for sure. Okay, let me take a look in the uh, actual example code as well, because the cool stuff 
thing that Paul has done is put in like uh, actu uh, actually reading the um, all these temperatures and things. So looks like this is the newest one here. Reading from sensors and uh, oh yeah, we'll have to clean this all this stuff up here uh, up as well. Um, but connecting to different sensors, I think uh, at least one, one or two over um, I2C, and then maybe reading one from the onboard too. Let's see. We'll do one from the onboard either way, though, for sure. Oh, and reading, it looks like the uh, SD card as well, maybe, or E-status. No. SD? Maybe? Oh, and the time. That's right. We had a, you have an RTC on there. I also forgot about. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff going in here. This is really cool. And check it from NTP as well. So internet time and a, uh, I think, RTC. There's our touchscreen setup. If you want rotations. I wonder if we should uh I wonder if we should add rotation to the initializer here that way the user could specify the default orientation calibration values and size values but then also just pass the rotation degrees like 90 and then have it handle all these different ones internally that might be kind of cool. That's like definitely outside the uh, scope of this project, but might be kind of a cool thing to do. It would take a bunch of the boilerplate code out of user code. Like you wouldn't have to put all that stuff in CodePy anymore, and instead you could, it would end up living inside touchscreen, the library. RTC or NXT SD card, uh, not the onboard, so it's an external temperature sensor. Nice. See, I feel like 8051 was a great device for its time. 2022 is no longer. Yeah. Uh, it's in everything. USB floppy diskette, controller, power manager, controller, old laptop, basically half the stuff. And my got frustrated boxes. Yeah, I got a, I got a got frustrated box. Hanging out somewhere as well. Oh, nice. I like your little helper for... Uh, Updating the, uh, basically it looks like updating the background of a group, pretty much. I mean, you could do any kind of image, but my guess is this is probably being used for the backgrounds. Pop that image in there, nice. Group, group pop, so it's going to remove the old one. Uh, one thing you could do if you're interested is um, because we now have the ability to update the bitmap on the tile grid, you could actually keep the same bitmap inside the group and not use pop uh, and instead just create a new on-disk bitmap or regular bitmap if you wanted to do uh, load it to memory as well. That would work the same. And then you could just change uh, the bitmap on the tile grid and you wouldn't have to like remove it from the group here and you wouldn't have to add it back to the group here. 
Um, that's one of the new things with TileGrid, but it is brand new. So if you do want to do that, you have to have, well, I guess if you're using the tab layout, you already have to have that super new version anyway. Oh, and it was in this, right? We downloaded beta two and we did get the version that allowed us to do that uh, updating bitmaps. I don't know if it's necessarily, I mean, I guess it would save you creating new tile grids, so it probably will save a little bit of memory over time. Um, I don't know if it would be a huge deal or not, maybe not, but possible optimization. Code will reconnect uh, to the sensor. Oh yeah, yeah, you saw, I saw that uh, when you mentioned that in the chat the other day. That's actually, that's really, really cool. One of the nicest things I think about Stemma is the ability to kind of like hot plug uh, back and forth and the code that you wrote that kind of connects um, automatically and then also retries the connection automatically that's actually really really cool I think um, the way you can like unplug and replug stuff and have it live just keep running while you're doing it like that is super super neat so again thank you for uh, thank you for doing that and sharing it I think that's actually uh, a, a really cool Thing that folks can add to any of their projects that use Stemma stuff. Connect up the temp sensor, there we go. So this is our external temp sensor over I2C. Here's our RTC, which is also on the I2C bus. Read a temperature and put it into the label on page four. Get date time. And put it into the label on day, on uh, not day three, on uh, page three. Check touch in page. I like this kind of stuff too. Uh, the way you did debug prints like this, I do this a lot in my uh, in my work code as well, where I'll put all of my like troubleshooting, debugging, developing print statements inside these if checks like this, so you can turn them all on and off at once. Um, there's more sophisticated ways with like actual logging libraries and stuff, but I kind of like this is like just a step up from print debugging, and it's a it's a really nice step up I've found. I don't necessarily need all the real bells and whistles of uh, the logging libraries and stuff. Uh, also, the recent log4j stuff made me pretty happy that I never started using fancier logging libraries, truthfully. Um, but I do use logic like this with an if statement and a boolean. Check for touches. And there's our main. And so here's how it's doing the reconnection, because you have while true, and then... Uh, checking for the devices to exist, connecting them if they don't. And then because this is inside the loop, it will be happening over and over. So if they get disconnected, it will just notice it, try again. Um, and eventually if it gets plugged back in, it'll notice it and actually reconnect and start updating its label again. Nice. Good job on this. Yeah, this is really cool. Uh, if you're interested, I think... Um, Maybe wait until after my PR is in, but if you're interested, I would say like totally uh, PR this to the uh, to the Adafruit 
uh, copy the Adafruit fork of this library. It'd be great to have like a fully fledged example like this. Um, you know, it's specific to the to the exact devices you have, but folks can swap that out pretty easily. Especially that's another nice thing about all the I2C drivers are, you know, kind of like they have drivers that are very very similar. So um, setup tends to be the same. If somebody else just had like a different temperature sensor and a different RTC. Um, they could probably just swap the imports, swap the uh, initializer functions, and like be on the road, ready to go. Uh, even switching it to a different kind of sensor would be pretty straightforward. They'd have to change a little bit more code, but like, you know, they could swap it to a distance sensor or an accelerometer or something like that. Been including it as a uh, plug and pray. I've been including that as a default kindred spirit print debugging. Been using a helper method such as print D. Ah, nice. Uh, which code was the hot plug? Biata. That's uh, it's inside of here. It's basically uh, to kind of show the exact portion of it. It's inside of main. Let's see. We had where was main down here? I'll link this as well. We're in the uh, YouTube chat there. Uh, and then it is so down inside of main. Well. So these are these are important. These connect temp sensor function and connect RTC function. This is where the actual like logic to try to connect to the device happens. And then main here has the loop inside of it. And then inside that loop, it has sort of this top section here, um, which is basically checking if the RTC is already plugged in. And if it's not, that's when it's calling connect RTC. Same thing for the temperature sensor here. Check if it's already connected. And if not, uh, rather, if it is, then get the temperature from it. But if it's not, then run the connect function. Um, so that's kind of how the logic for that reconnecting on the I2C bus is working here. And then you could, of course, like if you look inside those connect functions, you know, you could, of course, just swap out, you know, whichever sensor you need to set up here. And honestly, the same logic would apply to pretty much any uh, I2C code. Eyeball CP. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I'm going to take a stab at this as well, doing the touch input. I think I am going to do my API a little bit different. I'm going to try to take a bunch of the logic out of CodePy for at least the logic for managing the tab touches themselves. I think what I want is in here to say, well, first of all, we're not going to be able, I mean, we could do it, but we don't for some reasons. We don't want to sleep anymore. Uh, basically, we could talk about it more once I have some of it in. But basically, we won't be able to listen for touch events during this time uh, that we're sleeping. Uh, and we don't really want this thing to run automatically anymore anyway, because instead we're going to use the touch screen to change it. This was mostly just as a demonstration of the rest of the API uh, before the touch was actually implemented. What we will do, though, is set up the touch screen. Um, which I will actually just snag from yours. So I think I recognize this as like the sort of stock touchscreen example stuff. We could copy it from the touchscreen library itself as well if we wanted. I think, where do we want to put that? I think we'll go under some of the display stuff. And I'll keep all of these for now, but we are going to stick with... Um, the standard orientation, which will just be landscape 
uh, hopefully in the orientation it's sitting on my desk, and if not, then we will actually go back and change it so that it is in the look in the uh, orientation I have. Uh, I'll keep default calibration, screen height. Uh, yep, we already have these. You can actually, if you're interested, you can do uh, display dot width display dot height here. You don't have to. You can also hard code them. But they're on the uh, display object, and you could also just do board dot display shouty dot width and height. That works as well. Um, right screen width. Okay, so this should set up our touch, and then we're basically doing down here. I think I will check for. I'll do the first check for like get the touch events and see if there are any. But then I think I'll just pass that event object, or I think it's a list actually, uh, down into tab layout. Like I'm gonna go like this one, touch equals touch point, if touch, and then in here, so if we did get a touch, then I'm gonna go test page layout dot, what do we wanna call that? I think um, process touch, handle touch, Handle touch. Maybe handle touch events. It's even more specific. I don't know. Maybe it's too wordy. Handle touch events. We'll pass touch in here. Oh, I don't think... Well, it's a tuple, not a list. Um, it, it represents a single touch event. It's not a list of touch events. Multiples. Although you will get one each frame if, if you keep touching. Um, and then I think it's a tuple. Like a three tuple, I guess, maybe for X, Y, and then... Um, pressure if your screen has pressure so we're going to pass that in there and then of course we actually need to write that function on our tab layout because we haven't done that so inside lib layout this one tab layout we're going to make whoop, def handle touch events and then this will be self and touch event touch event uh, this is a tuple containing x and y coordinates of the touch in indexes 0 and 1 and then we're not going to do anything with index two tuple returns uh, I think it just returns none need to return something could return true or false I think for now we're gonna try return none and if we need to if we come up with a good reason to return something later then we'll add that in as well uh, check if the touch event is on the tabs, and if so, change to the touched tab. So, uh, we know that touch event will not be none, because we handled none out here. Although we wrote our user code this way, maybe we should still... Maybe it's probably a good idea to still go ahead and check for none inside of here, just in case somebody writes their user code differently. 
um, and they just pass in touchpoint without checking it for none. I think we should support that as well. Yes, it's a tuple. Nice. Uh, why use, let's see, James Seth, uh, thanks for joining us here in the chat uh, and watching along. I assume you are. Why use print with formatting instead of sys.std out for debugging uh, when avoiding logging modules and packages? Yes, it would be application dependent, but in most cases you don't need formatting. Um, I don't, I can't say that I have a very specific reason. I would say I don't have uh, really any experience with sys.std out, so I've never used that. So just familiarity with print um, and formatting, um, I would say is probably the reason that I reach for print most often as opposed to that. Um, the other thing I would mention is I don't know if, uh, I don't know if CircuitPython does support sys.std out. Yeah, it looks like it does. I don't know how you use it though. You just call write or something like this? Yeah, I don't know where the five came from. Oh, five is the length? Yeah, five is the length. Well, 12 is the length this time, but interesting. What's the, uh, what would you say is the advantage doing it that way? Application-dependent. I'm just not familiar enough with... In fact, I think this is honestly the only time I've ever used STD out is right here. You saw it, so... Uh, I'm not familiar with, like, what would be the, uh, the main upside to that. Uh, okay, so if we have an event, then we are going to check the Y. If touch event Y, which is actually 1, because it goes X, Y, and then pressure... So if touch event one is greater than zero, I'm not sure we really need to check for that, but we might as well just to make our code real nice and explicit. Greater than zero, greater than equal zero, actually. And uh, touch event y is less than equals. And we, yeah, we ended up without a tab height, right? So I think what we'll do is, is that true? Oh, no, we did actually, we got a tab height, but it's just comes from the bitmap. So we can go ahead and use it. Tab height. Uh, less instruction cycles and no formatting. I gotcha. I gotcha. So it runs faster, potentially. Especially if you have it in like a, super quick loop or something which is what our i mean our main loop is is that basically for sure uh let's see this is just mad because of pass and then i think it'll be yellow because we could uh still mad what is this oh right right self there we go. and then i it'll reformat this right simplify or whatever I don't, this is one, a Pythonism that I don't, I always forget to, I know it exists, but I just don't code it that way by, by default, basically. It just doesn't, you know, whatever it is, my subconscious, it doesn't come out that way. The, like, three if statement with the one you're testing in the middle. It is nice, though. I do like it. It's cool syntax. Um, yeah, maybe we'll give it a fudge factor here. Let's try it without and see how it goes. Uh, but then maybe what we'll do is like self dot 
touch leeway or something like that, and maybe we'll make a variable that you can set if you want. Let's try it without first though. So if so if we if the y is outside this range, then we don't care about anything else. We know we're, that they're not touching on the tabs, um, so we're just not going to do anything with the touch event. Uh, which means we won't go inside of here, we'll end up down here, and it'll just return none, basically. But if we do get inside of here, now we want to basically check the X to see which tab it is touching. And since our tabs are all dynamically generated their size, that true because we have tab count and yeah all the tabs their width and their x location is all generated dynamically as you add them so if you add four tabs each one will take up a quarter of the screen as best as it can there is still some restrictions based on your tile size um the, the, the final size that it ends up has to be uh, divisible evenly by your tile size, but it will try to use up um, you know, the perfect sort of division of the screen. So if you have four tabs, it'll try to use quarters of the screen. Three tabs, it'll try to use thirds. Um, so how do we want to do that? We could, so one thing we could do is we could just check on the tile grid itself. Is that what we do want to do, though? The other thing we could do is just divide the X by the tab count. And I think that gives us the index of the tab that got touched. So let's just start by adding some prints, maybe. Print um, touch event x, which is actually 0. And I'm also going to print um, So the real pixel value, and also I'm going to go touch event zero over tab count. See if that gives me the index like I'm thinking. All right, so let's start with that. Hold on, there we go. Room do we have there? Oh, the chat's actually covering it up a little bit, isn't it? Maybe I'll just scoot it for now. I need to probably play with my scenes a little bit. I try to make the chat a little bit transparent, which helps some, but it does take up a lot of the screen. Maybe I'll shrink my actual screen some. Anyway, this is good for now. So let's do some touches here. Oh. Okay, yeah, no, I definitely done my division logic wrong. 
We are getting pixels. Uh, let's see, I would want to divide, yeah, I don't want to divide by the count, I want to divide by the screen width over the count. Yeah. And then maybe add one also, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a, I'm a guess and checker with math, honestly. I mean, I could write this out and figure it out for sure without guessing, but like it's so much faster to just guess and see what it does, and if I'm wrong, then add one. Yeah. Why are we mad? I have enough parentheses? Ah, this needs to be in here. There we go. So first, divide the display width by the tab count, and then divide the X of the touch coordinate by that, by what we got from that. X minus pixels equals screen width. There we go. Zero, one. Oop. We do eventually get two. The calibration does seem okay, actually. The first one seems to work pretty perfectly. The next one is pretty far off. Sorry, you can't really see where that's at very well. Basically, we're still on one here. We don't get up to two until right there. Let's take a look at what some of these values actually ended up as. We should have so the width of the display is 320, the tab count is four, which means each one of these should be 80 pixels. So anything below 80 should give us zero. Yeah. And then we basically just don't get to 160 for some reason. Huh. Oh, but this is only going to 240. I think I have configured this wrong, maybe. Yeah, I have portrait. Let's look in the touchscreen. What about the margins? Uh, let's see, what about the margin, the edges of every tab? They will technically still be clickable on the edges. Um, we, could we could shrink it in some to make them not. I need to apply the offset. 
x pixels over tab count minus tab width over 2. In a lot of login, it's like running on a very slow microcontroller. Yeah, I will say, like, on the microcontroller, print does take a relatively long time. Like, if you're actually concerned with um, the speed, like, with which you're reading a sensor or something like that, printing inside the loop does actually take, you know, a considerable amount of time. Not on the human time scale, right? Like, it's still in the milliseconds. It's still fast to us. Uh, but if you do have prints versus if you don't have prints, um, you'll you'll notice a pretty good difference about how fast you can actually get your loop to run. It does take it a fair amount of time to actually get it into the serial low power devices like IoT, every structure. Yeah, that's definitely true. I'm just not like I'm trying to make the example, which is meant to run off PC power, um, and it's not necessarily meant to like survive in the field on a battery for as long as it can. Yeah, turning off the prints. That's the best, I think, the best. Like, w during development, you're going to be plugged into the PC, so you have power. You don't care how much power you use. If you are making a thing that you're going to put out into the field, that's where that debug uh, if statement can really come into handy, because, like, if you turn off all your prints, you'll definitely be faster. And, and not only faster, but, of course, not using the CPU and all the stuff to... Uh, do the battery so somehow we have 240 here maybe i put width and height wrong or see what i did well we're in the wrong file for one thing what did i do here screen ah yeah these are backwards i think F for my orientation obviously it depends which orientation you're in that's the one you would need it for I think these probably go with height, but again, I'm a guessing checker too, so I'm just going to change it and see what happens. This is another thing, like, I could go look at the docs, but... Ooh, we don't get any now. Oh, okay, my finger was throwing it off. Okay, so our 80 breakpoint still looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. There we go, okay. 160 breakpoint looks good now. 240, yep, there it is. 240 came a little early, honestly. We're, we're still kind of inside three, honestly. But that could also, that could easily just be touchscreen calibration. And not, you know undesirable just if we calibrated the touchscreen hair better we would be uh maybe not having a problem with that yeah okay i'll i will go back and do the calibration but i actually uh, I want to just chunk it in here and let's make it go, right? So we now have an index, uh, touched tab index equals this value, which we put in here. And 
actually what I'll do is, uh, so that I'm not doing the same math twice, I will take that and actually put it below, and then use this, whoop. That. Gotta call it a day, thanks Tim. Uh, yeah, see you, Dave. Thanks for hanging out for a bit. Uh, let's see, why don't we use a touch response area for each tab? Um, we could, we could. I just am interested in trying it this way. I don't know, I don't have a, a specific reason, uh, reason one way or another necessarily. Uh, just this is kind of the way that my brain broke it down by default. I think it takes a mental adaption of the programmer. Features like you and I custom to you the print statements uh, and then move to STD and C out. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's also just a matter of like perspective and stuff, right? Like I have worked super, super high level. Like CircuitPython is on a microcontroller, which it, in its very nature is, is pretty darn close to the hardware. Although obviously CircuitPython is an interpreted language running on a microcontroller. So it is still pretty high level for a microcontroller. Um, I just am not in the habit of thinking about efficiency, really, because I've never made a thing where I have had to absolutely squeeze every ounce of efficiency out of it as a necessity. So, like, I just don't do it by default. And sometimes I have to go back and make things faster. Uh, and I do that when I notice that it's becoming a problem. But, like, you know, it's just not the, it's not the default way I tend to do things just because it's not ever, um, it's not something I have a lot of experience with, basically, a lot of experience with needing. I do a lot of web development and stuff, and like the server, I'm sure, could always be made more efficient, but it's efficient enough to do all the things I need, so um, I don't really spend time making it more efficient. I just spend time adding new features to it instead. I think here we can just go set our index, right? Self dot, we call them showing page index equals touch tab index. And that should change for us. Um, one thing that would probably be nice is if we add one more check. Actually, maybe we should do that inside here. Yeah, I think it actually makes sense to do that in here. If uh, self.showingPageIndex is not equal to the new index, so if they are equal, then don't bother setting it again. I don't know that it matters really, but... That I, you know, I guess I just say that I don't go around improving efficiency before I have a need, although I kind of just did there, I suppose, a little bit. But uh, in addition to being efficient, though, this honestly is more descriptive to me. The fact that it has this if statement there now tells, it conveys more about my intent, my meaning. Uh, the person who wrote the code, it, it, when I come back and read this, it tells me more about what they were intending to do, which I think is also nice. I tend to add debug format args method. Ooh, interesting. And then just call that debug format method. I do something similar to that in Android. I haven't done one on uh, on the Python side before, but I have like a I call it util. I think it is. I have like a util.log. Nice. Yeah, that is sweet. Okay. Let me try finger. Oh, yeah. 
That's really nice. We could calibrate this and get it a little better with the, uh, this thing, which the name is escaping me right now, stylus. We could, we could calibrate and we could get it better with the stylus, but honestly, it's plenty good for finger. Those feel exactly how they should when I'm touching them. Oh yeah, that's a nice, uh, if you do have the function, you can also swap out where it's going to. So if you don't want it to print to the console, it could be going to a log or it could be sending, sending over to a different server. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what do they call that? Encapsulation kind of, cause it's like letting the, letting the other thing care about where it goes. The code that calls it just wants to call log this and not care about where it goes. Um, that's pretty nice. All right, so I'm pretty happy with that. I think I do like this idea of just having the kind of single function that will do this. Um, the way I have the math here, it's not checking every individual rectangle, which means it would look, it would not match the visual if, uh, like I was talking about before, if your tile size was not an even multiple, um, or rather if the display was not an even multiple of your tile size, then your tabs would end up being a little bit smaller, each one of them. And then the touch would actually still go outside of the tab a little bit. But honestly, I think I kind of like the idea of it divvying up the screen into the biggest... Like, I'm... You know, my, my approach to it is, like, you always want to make your touch zone even a little bigger than it appears. Um, especially if you're talking about a touch screen, right? With If you have a mouse, then, like, exact touch boxes make a lot more sense. But if you have a touch screen, close enough tends to be, like, what you want to go for. Because it makes using the thing a lot less frustrating. You know, if there was a little sliver in here of space where my tab wasn't quite the full width because of my tile size not being an even multiple or whatever. Like, if you were to touch on that little sliver and it doesn't register anything, like, that's kind of frustrating from the user's perspective. It doesn't... They kind of just assume it's going to work if they touch pretty close to it. So I kind of like this idea of dividing it out by the width and just evenly divvying it up the same way we did when we chose the width of those tabs. All right, so that's looking good. I think I'll copy it back to the repo because we know that we want to save early, save often, if you will. And I guess I'll probably just go ahead and do the test as well. Why don't I take a minute here to clean up the test, too? Let's get rid of... Or do we want to have one example? Maybe we should have one example that's not the touchscreen. So maybe we should have simple test that uses no touchscreen and just behaves like it did before, automatically cycling. We have a touchscreen example, which is this one, which does use the touchscreen. And then I think I would still love to have an advanced example that's like that one Paul made, which actually is reading 
sensors and putting live data on each one of those different tabs. Um, another nice touch to that would be in uh, input on one of those tabs. So like if we had a button on a tab and you click the button and it turns on the LED that's on the back of the board or something like that. Uh, so like input instead of uh, output from a sensor. Uh, how's it going, Gordy G? Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I think I like that. Let's, uh, I think kind of tentatively, I'm liking those three, uh, those three, um, those three examples, basically. So simple test could actually stay how it is, I think. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitely don't want this. Don't need that. Kind of go here through here and fix the uh, fix the comments while I go. Actually, don't need to set that if we're going to use zero. Don't need this anymore if we're not going to have custom font. I did test out custom font and it does work fine, uh, but I don't want to do it in the simple test, which this is about to become the simple test. We can finally get rid of this. Make a tab layout illustrate the most basic features and usage. Yeah, let's do change these, I think. Um, is it Shift F6 I think I can do? So which one is which? Uh, inactive is six, so we're gonna call this um, inactive tab sprite yep and then this one we're going to call active tab sprite Yeah, Naradoc also with the debug function. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, this one didn't go yet. There we go. Okay, those are much better names. Colors we can keep. Yeah. This is pretty good. Uh, eventually we're going to be needing to make a PR with this, so why don't we start checking the actions. Black failed, but it would have formatted it. Reuse failed, but I have files that aren't checked in, so those are probably from that. It's fine, yeah, 50, so we have three, I have I actually have four. I guess one of my ones checked in has a, uh, not checked in rather, does have a license. Oh, uh, shoot.
Okay. Let's let that rerun again. Line too long, that's easy. Of the touch. Oh, does this one? I think is it something like that, maybe? Dock string. We made a dock string. It's not. Actually, let me copy the page layout one, because I just made the page layout much more recently. And it actually has my stuff, not Kmatch, because Kmatch essentially made the the grid layout. Uh, it created, I'll say, the core code for the grid layout, and then I kind of refactored it into a class, but the actual logic of laying everything out was all Kmatch on that one for the grids. Layout that organizes pages into tabs, into tabs. Yeah, keep it short and sweet for now. We can always come back and add more details as needed. Uh, so some, a lot of this will be taken care of. Let's let it run again and get the current list. Oh yeah, much fewer. Oh, well maybe not actually, I just scrolled too fast. What's this, missing class. We'll have a lot of extra parameters, but we do still have X and Y. Param. What capital display? Ram int tab text scale size of the text shown in the tabs. And eventually we could add more to this, which I think it would be good maybe to specify whole numbers. Whole numbers one and greater are valid. But I mean, honestly, probably you're gonna wanna use like one or two, maybe three, if you're only using two tabs and you have a pretty big screen and you have really short labels. Um, but obviously there's not a whole lot of room, so you can't scale it up too big, otherwise it'll run outside of the uh, the tabs. Custom font. This is a, where does font? It's uh, font, it's um, 
Yeah, I... It's actually would be a union of... Bitmap font dot a couple of things. I don't remember all of them, honestly, so I'm actually just going to code it without a type for now. Um, oh, actually, they're all right here. Do you do the same ones as these for Sphinx? I don't remember. This work for Sphinx? Uh, let's see. Loaded. A loaded. Yeah, let's see. A preloaded. A preloaded. Because you can't just give it a string. You actually have to load it outside. A pre loaded font object to use for the tab labels gram string inactive tab sprite sheet now did i do string or yeah and we load them inside image load we could use on disk bitmap as well, I think. Maybe save a little bit of RAM. Um, the spreadsheet to use for, to, to show for inactive tabs. Duplicate, active. File path of the spreadsheet to show for active tab, for the active tab, since there can be only one. Hex or tuple color to use for the active tab label. If it's going to complain that one's too long or not, we'll, uh, we'll new line it if it does. Actually, let's go duplicate again because we have inactive. Whoa, page down accidentally. All right, what's next? Inactive tab color, so transparent indexes. Uh, let's see, tuple. Oh, let's see, tuple. So single index or tuple of multiple indexes to be made transparent in the in I didn't put the name in the uh, inactive sprite palette Active tab, 
single index or tuple of multiple indexes to be made transparent in the active tab. tab. Getting close. Let's see. Active uh, tab count is the last one. numbers, positive whole numbers, positive whole numbers are valid. Okay, let's let pilot run again, save this first. What do we got now? Uh, let me catch up on the chat while that's running as well. How about the possibility to expand the range of usable characters like the degree sign um, look into, so I haven't read the rest of this yet, but uh, right away, my advice is look into, um, is it Joey Castillo that made the ebook? Joey, uh, well, let me say whoever made the ebook, I want to say that was Joey, uh, did work on like different fonts, like Unicode. I'm going to probably butcher the technical details, honestly. I don't know. I probably have already have. I don't know if it's actually Unicode or what, but did work on, being able to render other fonts. Specifically, they were working on uh, other language fonts, but it would work with other symbols and things like that as well, like the degree thing. Let me, uh, Joey Castillo ebook. What's the name of that thing? Open book, that's it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I don't, I haven't looked into the details, but I know that Joey did work on different font, like here, right here, you can see they have, I don't know what it says, Cyrillics or, or something, um, but Joey did work to figure out how to do different fonts like this. So check into the open book project. There might be some either inspiration to draw from, or there might even be a library or some kind of. A uh, way to do it already in there that could be relatively easily used from CircuitPython. I don't know, so don't quote me for sure, but um, I do know Joey has worked on it some, so that's a good place to start. D1 Mini, which is an ESP8266, uh, to project a Spotify album art. Nice. Various European languages use a lot of accents, yeah. Is there a PEP we're using for doc strings? Uh, I see you put the data type after Prim. I like it. it, makes the code so much more reachable. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if it is a pep, but uh, Neurodoc is right. That's a uh, Sphinx, Sphinx formatting. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, this should be done now, right? Yeah, okay. Oh, wow, we... Uh... I wonder, I should... Ah, I wonder if I can... I don't want to go too far, but I'm going to indulge on a slight rabbit hole here. Can I set my max width? Code style? Yeah. Hard wrap? Hmm. Is hard wrap what we want? We don't really want hard wrap, do we? I would like it to draw that line at 100, though. Okay, yeah, looks like it did.
Diamondback, actually. So this line being here will help me not anger pilot. Blinter, yes you can, 120. Nice, thank you. Uh, what do we got now? Okay, now we're finally cutting them down some. Let's see, too many instance attributes. Uh, that we're probably ignoring. Uh, oh, 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 from a guy, do I know U8G2? A uh, library for embedded graphics has a bunch of fonts with their licenses documented. I did not know of that. U8G2. With BDF fonts, even. Look at that. Good find. Yeah, it's really nice to run it. That's one of the troubles, honestly. There's a lot of fonts, like, you can find a bunch of font files online that just don't have a license with them. And, like, technically, we really need to have a license if we're going to check it into the repo. Oh, dang. Yeah, they have a lot of them. Wow. And what is this? U8G2? Is that UTF-8? Or is that something else? Oh, is it an infinity? Monochrome graphics. Arduino library. Interesting. Huh. I've never heard of this. That's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing. Font grip. What's this one? Let me star this also so I can get back to it easily. Oh, are there examples of all of these? Oh, that's amazing. As I was scrolling through that list, I was like, man, I wish I could see each of these. Prayers have been answered right here. It looks weird with the dark mode, but that's just my dark mode. These are images with white backgrounds. Nice. There's just a lot of fonts in here. Wingdings. Kind of newfangled wingdings. Nice. That was awesome. Yeah. Google Fonts is a good place. They have relatively permissive licenses typically, and they post the license with it, uh, which is good. But there are you can find like lots of projects and stuff. You search around where they use a font and they check it into a repo or something, but they don't put a license with it. Uh, Google Font tends to be pretty good though, as long as you like just check and see what the license actually says. Because um, I sus I don't know for sure, but I think there might be some in there that are like. Uh, 
is licensed differently. Like some might be free for non-commercial, but others you might not be able to use it for commercial or whatever. Of course, if you're not making a commercial product, then you could do the do the one even if it was if it did have that restriction. As long as again you aren't making the uh, a commercial product. I think the BDF are from X11 under MIT license. Nice. Vieta, I'm a personally Vieta. Excuse me. Did I uh, pronounce it wrong? I was kind of close, but I definitely did it wrong. Miata, uh, Biata, there we go. Uh, personally a fan of the Terminus font. I do like Terminus, yeah. I have, I don't know if it's on my terminal, or if it's inside PyCharm or somewhere. I have seen that one, though, and I'm a fan of that as well. Okay, too many instance attributes. I... We're probably going to be ignoring that one. I would love to hear the rationale. I guess what I would do is go look this up, maybe. I, it, I'd be curious to understand the rationale on why 15 instance attributes, uh, why 12 instance attributes is too many. What is that a sign of? That just means our object is too complex? Um, what would be the proposed solution to that though like make a parent class and put half the attributes in it i mean some of the attributes in it but i don't i mean like if you're not going to make two children classes at least then like making a parent class feels like just splitting your code into two different spots for the sake of making this number go down um, which in my mind is making it harder to understand. I'd be curious to understand what their sonar lint. It's got to do with readability. But I mean, what are their, like, if I, wh whoever chose this number, like, what would they tell you to do in this case? Like, if we're using all the attributes that we have, we can't just get rid of some. So I, the only thing I could think to do is put some on a parent class, but then it's like, I mean, if you're not actually going to make multiple children classes, then, I don't know, it just feels like you're making the code harder to understand. Maybe easier to read, because it's less of a wall of text in one file, but harder to understand, because you have to now look in two places to find, to get a full picture of the behavior. I think we can do this down here, actually, right? I like to put these at the bottom. Also, I still have not really committed this to memory for sure. I don't know if this is the right syntax. Yeah, it looks like it. No, never mind. No, wait, did I scroll past it? No. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, pilot, then colon, then disable, then equals. Too many arguments. 
Same thing here, it's like... I mean, I could put a ton of these arguments into another object or a dictionary or something, and then our number of arguments goes down, but I... I don't really think it makes the code more readable. In fact, I think it's the opposite. Makes it harder to understand. Prefer... Ooh, that was... Squeaky brakes. Um... Yeah, we're definitely not going to get down to anywhere near 5 from 13. I think we're probably just going to be ignoring that one as well. I'm going to copy it this time, though. I think these are supposed to be like this, maybe. It's a way to reduce complexity. You can define a builder class or an enum. We don't have enums specifically, but we have something like them, basically. Using putty. Interesting, I've never actually had YouTube show me that thing before. Uh, we have constants, which you can pretty much be pretty similar to enums. But uh, we don't have specifically enums. Argument name, inactive, tab, transparent indexes, doesn't conform to. Hmm. Is this a length check or something? Thirty-two characters. Hmm, I hate to just ignore everything, but... I mean, I could take the word tab out, and that would make it under the limit, but... I think it makes it harder to understand. I don't... I'm... I'm... Pretty unwilling to appease pilot in situations where I think what it's suggesting actually makes the code harder to understand. The whole point of it is to try to make the code easier to understand. In a case like this, is this a pretty wordy variable name? Yeah, it is. Does it describe what it holds, though? Yes, I believe it does, and it does so well. Um, I mean, I could do, like, IDXs or something, use acronyms on some of this stuff, I suppose, but it's, it's kind of the same trade-off in my mind, really. Like, we're making it less readable for the purposes of making Pylant happy, which just feels bad to me. Yeah, I think... Invalid name, I... I don't know. We'll see. If anybody has thoughts on better ways to do it, I definitely encourage you to leave a comment on the PR when I make it. Um, I'm open to I'm open to ideas. I'm not coming up with anything myself that 
I feel like makes the code easier to understand than it is now. Uh, so I'm inclined to not change it and instead do the ignore. But I definitely grant there probably is something that conforms that is better than what I have. I'm just not thinking of it. So if anybody's got ideas, please, uh, please leave a review once I put the PR up. What is this? Access to a protected member. Ah. Um... Yes. Do we really need that to be private? I mean, we may as well just make that non-leading underscore, I think. Add content. This will actually be pretty much the same. Oh, that says grid, but I copied it from page layout, so it should really say page layout. Let me catch up. Uh, what are the indexes for? They are indexes uh, in the palette. They are they are they represent the index of one or more colors inside of the palette, which we will then go and make all of those indexes transparent on the palette, so that they won't get drawn on the screen. There's no QA comment for most linters. Uh, no QA. Oh, you could do it by the number instead of the. Uh, Said the name. Is that what that is, or great power comes in group morning suppression. No QA. So this is like a separate thing. It's separate from Pylint, but it still allows you to quiet Pylint errors. Is that what I'm understanding? Step eight warning suppression. Huh. You have to install this? Or it's built in. Or it works with Flake. Does it work with Pilot too? I don't know, Pilot might use Flake, I don't actually know. Huh. Interesting. I 
I think in our case, the pilot disables will work all right. That's kind of cool, though. Blocks the warning. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Or I, I guess what I should say is I wasn't scrolled down, and I don't know exactly which thing I said before you said no. Um, do we have anything different here? Tab content. The content for the tab, typically a group. The name of this tab to be shown, uh, will be shown. Yeah. It's none. I think that probably gets us passing, maybe. Oh, we had a black fail, but maybe after that? Other than reuse, but, oh, no, we have one more. Unnecessary pass. Probably I just put a pass when I first started writing a function, and then, yeah, I never took it out. Uh, I think I'll change this one to not use sleep. Just because if somebody does use sleep right here, and then they go to start trying to add more complexity to this, to read sensors, to put them on different pages, to, to handle button inputs, to handle the tab touch inputs, uh, if they go to start trying to do this, this sleep is going to trip them up a little bit. So I think I will be nice and not kind of hand people a sort of loaded bug waiting to happen. And instead, do... Previous change time is... Time dot monotonic. Uh, now is time dot monotonic. If previous change time plus change delay is greater than, no, is less than or equal to now. And do this and set previous change time to now. So this is the exact same logic. It's just not using time.sleep and instead it's using an if statement checking the current time. What was our problem? Oh, change delay, right? I made a variable. Change delay. Uh, this is in seconds. We'll go 1.0. So now somebody, if they started adding more complexity to this, other sensors and touch inputs and other things, uh, sleep would not be messing up their code. Let's run this and make sure everything works, which it does not because I did not rename those files. Inactive is six. Yeah. 
think it wants to restart on its own for some reason. I'll help it out. Oh. Oh, yeah, there it goes. Okay. Took it. It was still saving or something, maybe? I don't know. There we go. We got this, and this one is still doing the auto-advancing, so yeah, it'll just uh, start running on its own there. So this is our simple test. Maybe one more thing I'll do is uh, get rid of everything that runs off the edge. Um, before I do that, though, I am going to have to take one moment here and run to the restroom, and then I'll be right back. I'll let this uh, I'll let this keep running here, and I'll be right back. Okay. Libraries using time.sleep aggravate people using async IO. Yeah. That's true. Although if you are using async IO, you have a relatively easy way to switch it to um async sleep, whatever. I don't know the right function, but there's a function that works inside of a uh, an async function, I guess, await task or whatever. Um so it's relatively easy to switch over, but yeah, you do have to make that switch. Whereas this way, it would run fine inside of async. This would be a good candidate for swapping over to async, which I think we'll do at some point. But I do want to get the basics out of the way and get examples out there for other people to start using and getting feedback on them uh, before I kind of go the next step of the async IO stuff. So... I think let me just um I think I'm just gonna stick some new lines in. Doesn't really matter what's on these pages, truthfully. Okay, so the circle and the rectangle could both go down a little bit to account for the second line.
There we go. Rectangle doesn't need to be that far. Asyncio.sleep, but not for real-time systems or critical requirements. Uh, on the Titano, tabs could use the full names like three or four. Yeah, that's true. Uh, even with, I think, scale two. We could also do, I think we're on scale two on the font. If we scale it down to scale one, we could probably use the real names as well for three and four. Um, but I like the nice big labels. Even though they kind of limit us to only a couple of characters. Yeah, I think this is nice. Okay. So let's copy it back again, because I've made more changes. Let's run pre-commit on it again. Okay, it got formatted. One more time. Again, reuse is gonna fail, because I have stuff that's not checked in. Oh no, actually, this failed because of the bitmaps. Uh, which I created, so I get to choose the license for. I'm choosing MIT, but I do need to actually make the files. And... I do need to know the right format, which I don't off the top of my head. should be some inside of here. So I made this, and I made it this year. And I'm going to copy that. Oh, somehow reuse is not failing on those files, actually. Should have looked into that earlier. These have licenses? Oh, okay, that's how I did it. Is I actually put licenses in them even though they're not checked in. Uh, Alright, so we're passing. Do we need to do anything else? Or we're ready to make the PR. We have docs and... Oh, let's run, uh, let's run build docs. CD docs... CP docs. I have an alias for CP docs to run the Sphinx command that builds. Is looking good. Let's actually load the page as well and make sure that it actually shows our new thing. It's possible I forgot to add it. Might even be probable that I forgot to add it, truthfully. Where's docs? There it is. Um, hi. Hmm. 
I don't know. Looks pretty found to me. Did they just make this not work in Firefox? Can you not do these in Firefox anymore? I did update my Firefox. Oh my goodness. so old though this is 2013 oh sorry over the chat there. Brought me to an idea of inserting the new lines. Try to do that with the display date and timestamp. Yeah, there's also, um, if you're interested, there is also inside of display text, the library, which is where the labels come from. There is a wrap, uh, wrap nicely. It used to be called wrap nicely. Maybe it's wrap the lines or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's these. Wrap text to pixels, and then wrap text to characters. Or something. Wrap text to lines. This one does by characters. Um, these could help you add new lines automatically, if you want to do it automatically instead of having to hard code them. So why can I not load this? Are you, is this really doesn't let me load these now? Like, that seems pretty annoying. I'm not sure to open a jar file. Uh, this is a little... <sighs> This is why I never update things, because I hate when things just stop doing their basic functionality that I make use of. Safe mode? Going to no safe mode. Going to reinstall.
There's, I don't even think open. Oh, you know what you can do though, actually? Control O. Why is the layout not at the top of this if it's I modified, we just modified it. Twenty sixth. That's Then you get in here and it knows that it was modified six minutes ago. Doesn't make a lot of sense. What is this nonsense? And where is the CSS? And why can we not just open the file like normal? Why does it have to be this way, Mozilla? I like your browser, but let's not with this. What are we doing? Um, yeah, we're just not going to use Firefox, I guess, because it doesn't work anymore for that, for some reason, I guess. It's, it's, I, I don't know. Is that, is that too hard? I don't know. Feels feels like a good workflow. It used to work in Firefox. Don't really see much of a reason to change it. Yeah, we did totally not add it to the docs page, so I'm glad we checked. This is not the right place to change it, though. It's here. I'll put it with the layouts. We have grid layout. Actually, I did not add page layout either. Whoops. Let me add page layout while we're here. I don't know why these ones all have more stuff too. What is, I don't know what this does, but we probably want this for this one. Open developers console. Whoops. Well, I'll put this back in a minute. Didn't actually print anything. Not actually showing anything in here either. Hmm. I think I've run into this before, actually. This, this part feels very familiar. I think even the old version of Firefox, anything that was file colon, it did not treat as network. Which... Technically, it's not going across the network, so I can see why they would do that, but also it would be super useful as a developer if it behaved the same as network, even though it's on a local file.
so yeah, I don't know. I, if you have anything sp more specific inside the developer console to look at, I'm happy to pull it up. But I didn't see anything that seemed super helpful in there, fortunately. Hmm. Did I not save it? Oh, I didn't regenerate it, actually. I did save it, but I didn't regenerate it. Board has no display. That's so. I mean, board doesn't have display on every device. It's because the CSS file location is relative to the document root rather than the current file. That could certainly be the reason for why when I did it like this, it got... In recents? Hmm, not really. Maybe, but not really any easier to find. That CSS thing you just said, that's I would assume that's probably part of the reason, if not the full reason for why when I did it this way, it loaded without CSS. Um, it doesn't even have a fail in here though. I mean, this is already, like, it, this is not where it's at. So, like, it already is doing something to move my file to here or to make a fake copy of the file that's a link or, or some kind of magic. It's already not just, like, showing my file that I told it to open, which is... Frankly, a little frustrating, if I'm honest, but... I don't really see the need for them to, like, change it to be in a different location than it really is, especially when I just told it to open it, right? This didn't succeed. I guess we mock board? I don't know. I don't know what we do here. I don't want to take away the default, because I do... I mean, maybe we say none. Maybe we say none, and then we set it inside. But I think it's... Gonna still fail? Do we use board for anything else? No. Oh, maybe. Maybe we do like we might as well not import it if we're not going to use it either. 
This will be mad because imports out of order, blah blah, something. That's fine. We have a specific reason for doing this. We can, because if, if they pass a display, then we don't need to use this. We're not going to use it for anything, so we might as well not import it. Again, I think, just like it's Pilot will disagree, I'm sure, but. Oh, weird. Too many branches. Is he going to complain about the line length? Are you missing mock board? Yeah, I think that's what we're going to have to do is mock board. If console will show file loading issues. Yeah, I did. I'm pretty sure I did refresh after I had it. So like network tab, refresh. It doesn't even show a CSS request, but like the page definitely does make a CSS request. All of these here. Kind of making their browser harder to use for development, which I kind of don't like very much. But they also don't care probably too much about my opinion, so that's cool. Um, so we did pass, uh, but we still fail here. But is it a different reason than board? What is this? Optional. Requires a single type. Union. Nice, okay. All right, there's page layout, which I didn't create right now, but I did create before and forgot to add to the docs, and here's tab layout. Yeah. Nice, okay. Uh, so now, one more time, are we still passing pre-commit? Yes. Okay. And we push. Uh, oh, and we somehow we got away with not mocking board, actually, as well. So that's weird. I guess moving it out of the uh, argument? Maybe make it so it doesn't care? Or put wrapping it in hazadder, I guess, so it knows that it will have board? Or I mean display, rather? I'm not sure why it's uh not sure why it was able to figure it out, but works for me. Um I don't know, we did so many things. 
working on tab layout and simple test example. Yeah. So I'll make a PR from this, uh, and then I think I'm probably heading out here pretty quick after that. It's been about two hours. I will be back in the morning. Um, I got some grocery shopping to go and do tonight. So let me catch up on the chat. I've had this scrolled for a while. I have an idea to define three labels uh, on a certain tab layout page. Nice, multiple labels on one page. Uh, need to add it to auto dock maybe. Firefox is on a downward spiral as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, updating. This is what got me. I updated it the other day. But it update. I updated it because it made me frustrated because it wouldn't let me log into Gmail even though I was already logged into a Gmail account. So I could like go to Gmail, be logged in, see my emails, do all my stuff. I try to log into a different account and it was like, you can't log into an account with this browser. You need to use a supported browser. And then it has a bullet point list of supported browsers and Firefox is on there and without a version number. But apparently mine was too old and apparently you can't log into Gmail with whatever version I had before anymore. So I updated it with clenched teeth, like you said. And uh, it was all right for a few days, but I am starting to notice more things as the days go on where it's like it does different stuff that I don't like, but life sometimes. One of the pre-commared errors is import should, yeah. Um, I Yeah, a pylint error is what that is. Pre-commit is what we use to run all of our things together with one command, but pylint is the thing that actually complains about the code, the, I'm not gonna say code format, but the, the way you write your code, pylint complains about it. In this case, because I put my import outside. Also, I'm still catching up. You probably said this even before uh, I fixed it, but feeling somewhat lint exonerated now. Yeah, lint, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's frustrating sometimes, right? It's like, it helps you write nicer code, yes, I grant, but there are times where it flags on stuff that accidentally encourages you to write code that's actually less readable, in my opinion. But it's a very opinionated thing, right? Like, whoever made Pylint has the opinion that this leads to the most readable code. And, like, they probably know a lot more about it than I do, too. So, like, their opinion is certainly just as, if not more valid than mine. Um, but it, it, you know... It does sometimes point you towards stuff that I don't necessarily agree with. I guess it doesn't care about types inside the functions. And you mean for not having the mock here? Something else, maybe. Um, let's see. I will go back to Firefox for GitHub, though. see here many windows nope that's the dev here we go and i'll make a pr we'll uh we'll wait on the actions to pass in github as well if there's any reason why the actions don't pass in github i'll take a minute to try to fix it but otherwise i think i'll head out after that and then um if folks are interested i'll be back around tomorrow morning so deep dive is fridays at 2 p.m pacific uh, 4 p.m. Central U.S. time, which is the time zone I'm in. Boom, right there, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, that's Deep Dive, and so you'll ca you can catch me at the same time every week on Fridays um, until eventually I 
guess Scott will come back. I don't know for sure when he, when or if he's going to take back over deep dive, but eventually he may be back in the slot. Um, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time, which again is my time zone, so I know I jump around and say different stuff in different time zones. Uh, the reason I do Pacific for deep dive is just because that's where Scott's at, and that's what it was always announced as before was 2 p.m. Pacific, so I didn't want to like change it up too much. Um, but Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. Central Time, uh, so you can look up whatever time zone you're in and compare it to U.S. Central Time. Then uh, at 10 a.m. on Saturdays, that's when I also stream similar types of content. So if you like this sort of stuff and you want to see more, that is when you can uh, follow along to get more. And I'll always post the links when I get started over in the live broadcast chat, which is uh, the Discord chat that's right down below us right here. Um, down below me, not really. I guess me and my little Cyclops person, but... Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out. I uh, read a blog article from one pilot maintainer and won't say anything about it because I want to remain polite and in accordance with the code of conduct. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Black is the same way too. Like, not no compromise code format and then like, sometimes people don't, don't like it, but it's kind of like a race. Whoever, whoever builds the automated tool that's the easiest to use and the e easiest to add to CI kind of gets a lot of ability to define what is and isn't correct or you know, most readable or whatever, like they built the tool that everyone uses, therefore they kind of have control over what everyone considers good or correct in that way. Uh, let's see. I think I'll mark it as draft for now because I will actually go back and add the touch example as well, um, which is not that different, but is a little bit. So I'll add that as a separate one, but I'm not going to do it right now. So what I'll do is uh, make this one a draft. Will it still run the actions for a draft? I think it will, right? Um, also changed, what was it? Page content list or something? Page content list inside of page layout? Yeah, page content list. Code page content list inside page layout uh, to be public. No leading underscore. Because it's reasonable for code outside of it to make use of that attribute which the tab layout does um yeah could probably oh no we do need those right because those are used for the types yeah uh we'll put also noticed page layout wasn't in the docs also noticed page layout wasn't included in api.rst for the docs i added that as well do anything else?
Oh, ah, I wanna, I do wanna actually rename this. I'm gonna make one more push. I did, I meant to do this before, actually. I want this to be simple test, not test. That should not cause anything to start failing, I don't think, but it also costs nothing to just run it and see. Okay. Boom. Pushing, okay, this will update. I think you can refresh this and not lose your stuff, but I'm a little paranoid, so I'm gonna copy it first and then refresh. Okay, yeah, we kept it. And I'm just gonna double check Yeah, simple test. Okay. Cool. Create draft. Hopefully this is going to run the action still. Yes, okay. So I'll wait on this to pass actions. If anybody has any last questions or comments or uh, anything, um, now is the time, because I'm going to head out once this finishes. Yo, what's this live about? Just got this recommendation from my stream. First of all, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, arming over there in the YouTube chat. So I am about to head out, so it is going to be ending here pretty quick. But the uh, thing we're working on is all stuff related to CircuitPython. You can learn more at circuitpython.org. Also, if you catch the VOD um, at the beginning of this video, I explain a little bit about what it is. But I can also give you another quick high level while we're waiting on that thing to run in the background. Basically, we're writing Python code that runs on these tiny computers, such as this one right here, which is a, uh, a Pi portal. This one has a nice, um, I'll say relatively big touchscreen. Obviously, it's a small touchscreen compared to like a phone or something, but it's pretty big for a microcontroller. Um, this one has a color screen on it with a touch overlay. So like in the version of the code that supports touch, which is not this one, we can actually touch on these tabs. That's actually what we implemented during this stream. So if you... Uh, do go back and watch the VOD. That's what you'll see me work on. Um, generally speaking, though, the stream is just about CircuitPython-related stuff. Sometimes we do development of libraries, like I was doing today on this tab layout widget. Uh, sometimes we do development inside the core. Sometimes we do development inside, like, meta projects that go alongside of everything, like CircuitPython.org, right? This is a website. Um, so, you know, sometimes we do development on that. Um, just the the central theme that brings everything together is that we're always working on stuff related to CircuitPython on the stream. Um, so yeah, let me know if you have uh, other questions. I can I can answer while I'm here. Um, but that's pretty much the kind of like fifty thousand foot overview. Is we're writing Python code that runs on these tiny computers, uh, and you can see there's you know all different shapes and sizes and stuff. This Pi Portal one with the display. That's the one I have over here. Um, but obviously there's lots of different shapes and sizes and form factors of these things, depending on like what you want to do with it. That's how you kind of choose, uh, which one you might want to use for a particular project. Least black doesn't enforce two space indentions. Yeah, that would be rough. I do. I am like, I'm pretty laid back about format. There's not a lot of format that bothers me, but two space indentions do actually kind of bother me because they're so small i can't i can't just scan and uh 
intel which one's two and which one's four and stuff so uh, thanks a lot, Tim, and all others online. Thanks for the tips, hits, etc. Yeah, for sure. Thank you uh, again for sharing your work and, and doing your work and uh, being interested to work on stuff that I'm doing. This is all super amazing to me. So thank you as well. Uh, and I would say, like, um, please feel free, like, after this one uh, gets merged, or even if you want to do it before, that's fine as well. Uh, feel free, though, to make a PR and add your own example if you would like. Um, or if you want to refactor it to use the touch function that I add, or you want to keep it how it is, that's fine as well, but um, feel free to add it like an advanced example if you want. I think that'd be a cool thing to have in this repo. So what's interesting is this says all checks have passed, but this says X. So do we think that's just a visual bug? Oh, it says green up here too. Do we think that's a visual bug here, or do we think we actually failed and it's a visual bug here? Right, we don't have like Twitch uh, points bet on it right okay so who thinks you want to do a fun game who thinks that it actually passed or who thinks that it actually failed you can put in the chat and then i'll refresh after a minute i would quit using spaces if anybody wants to guess if not that's fine too i think what do i think i'll let's see i think it i mean we ran it locally so it should have passed right i think it passed that's my guess I'll give you like uh, five more seconds because I think we're on a delay a little bit. So give you a few more seconds if anybody does want to guess. It's totally cool if nobody does either. I also can't see the Twitch chat. So if there's people watching on Twitch and chatting, uh, I apologize, but I'm not seeing the Twitch chat. YouTube and Discord are the places to go. Let's refresh it. Yeah, okay, visual bug here. That's interesting. I've never seen it do that before where it put a red X there even though it was going to pass. I mean, even though it did pass. Double check here. Yeah. Huh. See something new every day. All right. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna head out for now. I will uh I'll come and add a new commit to this PR probably tomorrow uh, during the stream. I think I'll work on that um, at least for a little bit. I'll add the touch one, um, and then as soon as everything is good to go, I'll uh, I'll switch this over to to non draft, and then um, you know I'd be super stoked if anybody wants to leave a review on it, and then eventually we will. Uh, Get it merged in and everybody will be able to start using the tab layout. So, all right. Um, wrapping it up, thank you to everybody who watched and uh, interacted, chatted along in the Discord with us here. Uh, Nerdoc, thank you again also to Paul SK. I know I've said it a bunch of times, but thank you again to Paul SK for working on this stuff and sharing examples. Uh, Nerdoc is always helping out uh, everybody in the Discord, myself included. Thank you to you. See Grover, James, uh, Beata, Arming, if you're still around, new new uh, viewer. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Gordy G. Uh, who else do we have? Did I say See Grover? Don't remember for sure. Linux203, thank you. James, Dexter. Yeah, thanks to everybody who watched. Uh, Dave Odessa, I think, took off a while ago. Thank you to him as well. And um, yeah, again, I'll be back tomorrow morning. And yeah. Thanks. I hope everybody has a good night and I'll uh, I'll catch you all next time.